Good morning, my name is Adrian. Um, I will bring the scripture. <clears throat> okay, Exodus 40, verse 1 to 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, on the first day of the first month. Place the ark of the covenant law in it and shield the ark with a curtain. Bring in the table and set out what belongs on it. Then bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. Place the gold altar of incense in front of the Ark of the Covenant Law and put the curtain at the entrance to the tabernacle. Place the altar of burnt offering in front of the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. Place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Set up the courtyard around it and put the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. Take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and everything in it. Consecrate it and all its furnishings, and it will be holy. Then anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils. Consecrate the altar, and it will be most holy. Anoint the basin and its stand, and consecrate them. Bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting, and wash them with water. Then dress Aaron in the sacred, sacred garments, anoint him, and consecrate him, so he may serve me as priest." Bring his sons and dress them in tunics. Anoint them just as you anointed their father, so they may serve me as priests. Their anointing will be to a priesthood that will continue throughout their generations. Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded him. And then from just later in the chapter, verse 34 to 38. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Adrian, good morning. My name is Tawanda. For those of you who do not know me, although this is my first time preaching here, it's my absolute delight and privilege to be speaking to you this morning. Can I invite you to open your hearts? Let us trust together for God to speak to us freshly. God wants to meet each and every one of us at our point of need. So today, we actually come to the close of the series that we've heard in the last three months or so titled, God Who Saves. You would agree with me that in as much as we have had to skip some of the chapters, we've covered so much ground, and this series has been enriching and helpful. So now we come to the end of the story. We come to the climax of this wonderful story of Exodus. And the title of my message this morning is A People of His Presence. So in the last couple of weeks, we have seen right at the beginning of the story, the people of Israel are stranded in the land of Egypt as slaves. In fact, their experience in Egypt is far from the promise that Joseph left with them when he said 
in Genesis 50 verse 24, God will visit you and he will take you up out of this land into the land that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For the Israelites, after 400 years of slavery, these once hope-filled words begin to ring hollow in their ears. And they begin to wonder. I think part of their wondering was, is God still there? In all this suffering and oppression, they cry for help. I think their cry for help was as much a cry for God's presence. Where are you, God? I think it's fair to say that for most of us in this pandemic season, it has been tough. Maybe if you're like me, you've grieved over the loss of a loved one. A few months ago, I lost my mom in the most tragic of circumstances. And perhaps for you here this morning, this tough season, it feels like too much. There's just too many things going on. So as I was emerging from this grief of loss, my wife and I, we found ourselves having to deal with making big life decisions with huge implications for our young family, impacting our finances, our careers, where to put our roots. And maybe this morning, you kind of relate to this, and it feels for you that God is absent. You feel alone, emptied, and left. Where are you, God? Maybe for some, it's just a longing for something experienced before. Now, the experience of the presence of God has become but a distant concept. Maybe for some, you're actually saying, I don't know if I can even relate to all that. God's presence has never showed up for me. Maybe for you, you might be saying, you know, my life is actually not that bad. Well, it could be better with a few tweaks here and there. But I do not think that this presence of God thing is for me. So what we see in this story is that God did not only hear their cries. God did not only see their misery. God himself came to their rescue. Exodus 19 verse 4. He says to them, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you in my eagle's wings and brought you to myself. So God did not only show himself to rescue people from oppression and suffering, God comes to bring them into his relational presence. I wonder if perhaps you've asked yourself, did God just save me so that my life can be better when I die? Is there something more 
to my experience of God? Is my salvation just about getting out of Egypt and all I need to do now is wait and endure until I get to the promised land? Or is there something more? Is there something more to this life? Maybe you're here and you're looking from the outside in and wondering, is there more to life? What we see in Exodus is not only a God who wants to rescue a people, God is so keen to be among them that he gives this instruction to Moses in Exodus 25.8. Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. So the God of heaven, the God of glory comes and he wants to pitch his tent among their tents. But this is not just the story of Exodus. This is the story of the whole Bible from Genesis when we see God so present to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And the Bible describes God walking with them in the cool of the day. And it does not end there. It culminates into Revelation. We see in Revelation 21, John describes this incredible vision that he had. John says, I saw a new heaven and earth. And he hears this booming, loud voice. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. God will dwell among them. For they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them. So God's plan was, is, and has always been to bring his people into his presence eternally. Friends, this is for us. This is for you and for me. In fact, our past, our present, and our future is as much shaped by God drawing near to us, by God presencing himself to us, even when we don't always see it or sense it or even desire it as we ought to. Genesis 17, verse 1, I am the God Almighty. Walk in my presence. So God desires for you and me to spend every moment of our lives in his sight and company. But not as this stern clipboard-carrying supervisor with a daily checklist. Has he read his Bible today? Lie number 6, 8 a.m. I wonder what this day is going to be like. Oh, he just kicked the cat. I find very helpful what Michael Eaton once said, and I'll read. The most valuable blessing in the whole of life is the enjoyment of the presence of God. So, beloved of God, God desires for us to flourish, to find real satisfaction and everlasting joy 
that can only be found within his precious and gracious presence. So now we get to our main text this morning that Adrian has just read for us. We see in Exodus 40, verse 33, Moses finished building the tabernacle or the tent of the meeting, as it was called. And in verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So God is now present with his people in a powerful and mind-blowing way. So there is a sense in which we understand and talk about God being present in all creation. What we refer to as God being omnipresent. God is everywhere. 1 Kings 8.27 tells us that the earth, the heavens, and the highest heavens cannot contain him. You could think of it as the inescapable presence of God. David says of it in Psalm 139, verse 7 to 8, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I go to the highest heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. But I think the presence of God that we see in Exodus 40, verse 34, is more than that. I think what's central and what's detailed here in this passage is what is called the manifest presence of God. A.W. Tozer says something like this. The omnipresence and the manifestation of the presence are not the same. So these two divine realities, the omnipresence of God and the manifestation, are not at odds, but they're not the same. In other words, there's a difference in saying God is everywhere and saying God is here. Even though most of us, we don't doubt that God is there, but we actually struggle to realize and think that God is actually here. There was a news article um, a month ago, quite a fascinating story of an actor called William Shatner who went to space at the age of 90. He actually became the oldest person to go to space. I mean, that's quite remarkable, that in itself. But what I found more remarkable and the subtext to this story is, for some of you who might remember, William Shatner, for decades, played uh, this fictional character, Captain Kirk, in the science fiction series called uh, Star Trek. So for years... William Shatner acted and pretended to go to space. But now, he went to space for real. How cool is that? And this is what he said when he landed after his 10-minute flight. I am so filled 
with emotion about what just happened. It's extraordinary, Shatna said, tearing up. I hope I never recover from this. I hope I can maintain what I feel now. I don't want to lose it. It's so much larger than me and life. Everybody in the world needs to do this. Everybody in the world needs to see this. I think what William Shatner was kind of saying is that it is one thing to know that something exists, but it's entirely another to experience it in reality. Imagine the Israelites in Exodus as they wake up and they open the flap of their tent. And and as a family, they say to each other, God is here. They open the flap of their tent. They see this incredible cloud. And they look at each other. God is here. One of my most fond memories growing up was playing in the dust streets of Zimbabwe. And... I can imagine the days when there was a full moon. In those days before TV and tablets and smartphones, we could play unendingly without any care for hunger or exhaustion. As a parent of two young boys, I think of this story and wonder how difficult it would have been for parents at night to try and get their little kids into the tent with this incredible cloud or a pillar of fire of the glory of God outside. So when they eventually manage to get them into their tent, probably they look one more time out of their tent and they say to each other, the God who saved us from oppression is here and it's going to be okay. Moses would later write in Deuteronomy 4 verse 7, What great a nation is there who has a God who is near to it as our God is near to us. I think we need to press in a little bit more here. There's something remarkable happening here. So for the ancient people, whenever a king would lead his army to go and fight a battle and conquer a people or another nation. He always went back to his kingdom, to his palace, and ruled that nation from his kingdom and his palace. But here in this story, we find a conquering God, a conquering God who is a king like no other. The glory, the God of glory, the God of heaven comes and not only rescues this people, he comes and he lives with them. He comes and he lives among them. This is the climax of this whole story, that these people are not only a people who are freed from slavery, they become a people of his presence. 
as much as this manifestation of the presence of God was incredibly remarkable, but the reality for an ordinary Israelite was that they experienced this presence from a distance. I will explain and unpack this, why this is so important, not only for us to understand what happened then, but for us for now, here. So if you look at the construction of the tabernacle, it gives a reflection of how they will relate to God. So this tabernacle complex was, the tent was the tabernacle, and this tent was fenced off, and to get into the fenced-off area, there was a gate, and between the gate and the entrance to the tent was the courtyard, and the tent itself had two compartments. So it had one compartment, which was called the holy place, and then it had the inner compartment, which was called the holy of holies. It was separated by a curtain. And God, His presence, was in the Holy of Holies. It was in and above the Holy of Holies. And only one person, the great high priest, was able to enter into the Holy of Holies. Only one person, once a year. So for an ordinary Israelite, they experienced the presence of God from the outside and at a distance. But for the ancient people, they would have understood this because they knew that an ordinary person could, just, could not just walk into the presence of a powerful king. Otherwise, you'd be imprisoned or you'd be condemned to death. More so in the presence of a holy God. So what this distant and limited access to the presence of God for the ordinary Israelite does is that it foreshadowed and prefigured and announced the coming of a new and a much better way. And the writer to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament picks up on this, and he writes in Hebrews 9, 11 to 12, But when Christ came as a high priest, of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of the goats and cows, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Hebrews 10, 19 to 22, he carries on and he says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way opened for us through the curtain, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. 
So because of Jesus, who now becomes the perfect sacrifice and the great high priest, we now have access to enter beyond the curtain, that the curtain of separation into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God. So not only does Jesus becoming the perfect sacrifice and the great high priest allows you and I to draw near to God in a way unimaginable for an Israelite in Exodus. It also opens a way for God to draw near to us in a way unimaginable for an Israelite in Exodus. So for you and I, we no longer experience the presence of God in this glorious cloud, but in an accessible person, the Holy Spirit. So before Jesus finished his earthly ministry, he makes an incredible promise. And John writes in John 14, 16 to 18, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. The world cannot know him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you will know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Friends, I think we need to hear these words again and again. I will not leave you as orphans. So we see in the book of Acts the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit becomes the present presence of God. So for us now, we get to experience the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. In this passage in John, Jesus also underlines how the Holy Spirit will be with us. So firstly, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as he and him, not it, personal. Jesus goes on to say, he will be with you forever. How amazing is that? That we now have the presence of God that is personal and forever. As amazing as this is, when Jesus says that he will be with you, he didn't mean that the Holy Spirit will be close to us like a faithful and alert bodyguard. But he will actually be with us, in us. So we will have him in us. So, by the Holy Spirit, we get to experience the presence 
and the love of God within us. The reality of the presence of God becomes more intimate, becomes more certain, becomes more joyful, becomes more satisfying, becomes more effective, becomes more real. Through the Holy Spirit, God's presence becomes more real in our lives. There's an incredible story of a French Christian believer and philosopher called Blaise Pascal. So Blaise Pascal is considered one of the great minds of history, and this is what happened when he died. So when he died, people who were going through his stuff found in one of his courts, he had written an experience that he had, and he had sown it in the inner lining of his court, and it read, in the year 1654, Monday, 23rd November, from about half past ten in the evening until half an hour after midnight, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned. Seti, seti, feeling, joy, peace. So what Blaise Pascal was saying when he says God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, and not God of the philosophers. He was saying the God that he knew in his mind became real in his heart. There's another incredible story of a a Chicago minister and evangelist, Dwight Moody. He lived in the 19th century, and he wrote this. One day, in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I could not describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. He gets to experience the love of God so much that he says, God, no, enough. What happens here? To Dwight Moody is not that he didn't know about the love of God in his head, but the reality of who he was in God and the love of God to him became real in his heart. I know that these stories can easily begin to sound like the stuff of legends. But I want to encourage you, beloved of God, let us not dismiss them as extraordinary or unattainable. I do not think Paul would write to his readers in Ephesians and say to them, I pray that each and every one of you, through the Holy Spirit, in your inner being, would experience the love of God that surpasses all understanding, the love of God that surpasses all knowledge. Paul is saying, I want you to experience the love of God that is beyond rational, that is beyond just reason, that cannot just be packaged into a neat set of box of factual arguments. I want you to experience the reality of God in your lives.
When I talk about us becoming a people of his, of his presence, I am not just talking about these intense encounters, although we must anticipate them and welcome them. I am also talking about a daily awareness and growing and a deepening relationship with God every day. What Paul says, be filled with the fullness of God. I like what the Message Bible puts it in a, the Message version. It puts it in a more colorful way. It says, live full lives, full in the fullness of God. I think it's also helpful for us to realize that this real and authentic experience of the presence of God is not just a personal and a private affair. We see in the book of Acts, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, that God restores his relationship with his people, but also there's restoration of relationship of people among each other. We see a new community of believers. People are not just saved, they're added to a community. That people don't just remain on the fringes, they come into a community and there is devotion to fellowship and real relationship. We become the church. So as we move on in this passage, in verses 36 and 38, we see that the Israelites were a nation on the move. They moved with purpose and at the direction of the presence of God. So for us, we are not only the gathered people of God We are called to be a manifestation of the presence, of the glory, of the character of God into the world. We are not just a holy huddle. I love what Terry Vergo once said. He says this, that the church's invitation should not be come to us, but rather come with us. The church should not be regarded as a building at the end of a cul-de-sac, but a people on a highway. As pilgrims, we should invite people to join us on our mission. As I conclude, I just want to ask the band to come up. We're going to close off uh, by singing a song together. As they are coming up, I want you to imagine that you are left with an inheritance, maybe by a distant uncle or a distant cousin. And for some reason, you think that this inheritance is actually quite small, so you actually never bother to ask about it or inquire it. It just lies there in a trust account. Then one day... Out of curiosity, you actually decide to ask and inquire about this inheritance. And lo and behold, you realize it was actually a fortune. 
that though you were rich, you had been living poor. I understand that we're all in different places in this journey of life, but I think the story of Exodus and God presencing himself is a helpful challenge and a wonderful encouragement, not just for mature believers, but even for those new to faith and maybe those that have wandered from faith and those looking into faith that we are all called to a deeper, meaningful, real relationship with the living God who loves us dearly. God's desire for us to be in His presence did not end in Exodus, did not end at Pentecost. There is an invitation for all of us to draw near to God. Can I ask you to stand? Even as we sing this song, as we come to the end of our meeting, and encourage us, open our hearts, trust God, trust God for His presence. There is mercy. There is mercy poured out for us this morning. There is love that surpasses all understanding poured out for us this morning. There is grace. There is affirmation. There is strength. There is healing poured out for us this morning. God is here in us and among us. And he wants to meet us at our point of need.